and welcome to our March edition of the Cinetopia radio show and podcast. Um, I'm Amanda Rogers, founder of Cinetopia, and I'm, well, actually, our my co-producer on this project, Jim, he's just now a new father, so he's not with us today, but big congratulations to Jim and Rachel on um, their new baby. Um, uh, but I'm also here with some new and old colleagues of the Cinetopia show. Uh, Simon, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Um fresh off Glasgow Film Festival, which we're talking about today. And it's been, yeah, a fairly intense and busy couple of weeks of uh, watching films seemingly all the time. Which is always fun. And I felt the, yes. definitely we'll be talking about that a lot. This is, this is our Glasgow uh, show special, Glasgow Film Festival show special. Uh, we're also here with a new, a new contributor, but, uh, but we've known you through Twitter and events and stuff like that as well. So Gary Arnott, uh, Gary, welcome. Tell us about, uh, yeah, your your work in film, your love of film. Tell us a little bit about, about, about yourself. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, my uh, website is Cinema Perspective. So it's cinemaperspective.com. Um, I've been writing about films for coming up for 10 years, um, regularly cover Glasgow Film Festival, Edinburgh Film Festival, um, London as well. Uh, yeah, just had same as Simon, had a, a really busy couple of weeks watching lots of stuff, lots of good stuff at Glasgow. So yeah, excited to dive into them today. And you are a local to Leith, correct? I am, yeah. Yeah, I live just by Ocean Terminal in Leith. Yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. Did, did you, and I'm calling you out, but I feel like, did you go to one of our Cinescapes events? Or no? I did, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, it was pouring with rain that day, <laughs> but we managed to somehow avoid getting soaked and we watched uh, Train Spotting. Yeah. Great. It was really yeah, good. I, I remember that. Um, yeah, our sort of conversation around that as well. But yeah, thank you for coming and enduring that uh, torrential rainpour as well. <laughs> yeah, so. no, it was a great, great night. Hopefully we'll be doing something in Leith uh, around outdoor film this year as well, but more news on that later. Um, a couple events that are coming up uh, for Cinetopia. Um, so on the 22nd of March, we're bringing back uh, networking, but um, one of the things that we'll be sort of telling you about in the future is around ch- chats or, or, you know, additional things to networking, not just having like the, the larger networking, which we think is very valuable, but also having conversations around different parts of the film community. So from post-production to cinematography to film criticism and, um, and sort of bringing people in to have a chat around that. But on the 22nd, we're working with the Edinburgh Short um, Film Festival to bring the Shortcuts Amsterdam uh, Dutch short film uh, program to Edinburgh, and that's completely free. Um, but it's a really lovely opportunity to see Dutch films um, that um, that will be showcased, and then a vote on them. Actually, it's an international code of award that um, by by May first they'll sort of announce in Amsterdam, and then afterwards our regular networking. Um, so that's that's exciting. I hope you'll join us for that. And then also we're doing our regular cine nights at the Moxie um, in Fountain Bridge, and we're doing some like it hot. So that's the 20th. So, and there's live music and cocktails and everything like that. So if you're in for like one of those kind of classic cinema nights, um, that's something to think about. But now we're talking film festivals, the big film festival season. And um, I've just got back from quite a long journey. I was in Florida the last two times and um, 
in February, as we were as we were sharing and airing this uh, the program, I was at the Berlin Film Festival, so went around Berlin quite a lot. And and my colleague Amaya, who does programming with me at Cinetopia, also went. We were very keen to look at a lot of documentaries as part of as part of that. Um, Berlin Alley has an incredible documentary uh, lineup usually. And sometimes you don't know what you're going to get, but very interesting stuff, some very challenging films, some really beautiful films. Um, so saw lots of films there, ran around Berlin, um, yeah, in the cold. But uh, but film the film festival was incredible. And we'll be doing a quick little, little segment about our overview of the Berlin Film Festival later in this program. But today we're really focusing on Glasgow Film Festival, of course, one of Scotland's greatest, uh, one of great festivals that we have here. Um, and uh, it's just, it just seems to be getting better and better every year. Um, so we're, we're going to ask uh, Simon and um, Gary to kind of give us their overview because they went to see a lot of films. I saw some, and I also was part of some of the Film Hub Scotland Exhibitor Days and some of the industry stuff. So I'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, we're reviewing three films in particular that you will see eventually like uh, coming out in cinemas and we thought might be good to uh, share. And then obviously everybody, like other recommendations from, from the film festival as well. So the three films we're going to be reviewing are Worst Person in the World by Joaquin Trier. Um, that's coming out on the 25th of March, Happening by Audrey Diwan, um, that's coming out on April 22nd, and Benediction, um, directed by Terrence Davies, which will be out later in May. I also sat down with Jonas Chernick, who is the writer, actor, and producer of the film Ashgrove, which had its world premiere at the Glasgow Film Festival, so we'll hear a little bit of an excerpt from that interview as well. So let's get to it. So Glasgow Film Festival is actually just finishing today as we're recording this, and um, but uh, quite a lot, quite a lot of films from various festivals um, brought to brought to audiences in Glasgow, and a lot of world premieres as well. A lot of Scottish films, um, I, you know. I think uh, Simon, you saw something like seventeen films. Gary, you saw many as well. I'd really like to to hear your overview of this year's festival. Yeah, from my perspective, it's been a, a really good, really strong festival um, this year. I, I haven't been to the Glasgow Film Festival previously, um, so this was my my sort of first time at Glasgow. But I really, really thought they've put on a strong show. Um, in terms of the public screenings, I, I saw, uh, I kept seeing sort of lines of people around the block uh, at the Glasgow Film Theatre, like queuing right round onto Socky Hall Street. So it's it's clearly been popular with uh, sort of people in the city, people coming to visit the festival, um, which I think is great. And uh, yeah, this is really one of the first film festivals that are is back in person. It's mm. much of, very similar to um, Berlin Alley. It's very much a audience festival. Um, I mean, Berlin Alley is certainly a, a industry festival as well. But the priority this year was the audience. Um, how do you feel that they managed uh, overall, like in terms of coming back and and uh, and sort of, sort of some of it was hybrid as well. So some of the stuff that you saw was was online as well. Is that correct? Yeah, they they, they sort of. I think they had a very strong uh, in person schedule for films for in person showing of films. But like you say, they also had a online component to the films. 
So uh, for press, there were a lot of online press screenings on their sort of online industry portal. But I think there was also um, Glasgow Film at Home. The Glasgow Film at Home service was showing a lot of the films for people sort of all over the UK to to rent the films online and view them uh, that way, which I think is really good for opening up festivals to to online online uh, people. So I thought it was a really good mix of of the in person and uh, the online. Like I, I know that there's various reasons that it can't all be online. Like there's distribution reasons and publication reasons. Uh, so I thought this really took some of the best elements to come out of the pandemic um, and, and how film festivals all went online while also retaining that sort of in-person atmosphere of, you know, an in-person live festival. Yeah, I, I agree. I've been, I've been covering Glasgow Film Festival now for, for quite a few years. It's always one that I enjoy. Um, I thought the programme this year was excellent. Uh, it was a good mix of uh, films that have been popular on the festival circuit that um, film fans will be would have been aware of already and then a, a good mix of other stuff in there as well. Um, like retrospective screenings that were on at the GFT, which I think always go they always go down well with the audiences. Um, it was actually the last festival that I attended in person before the pandemic. So it was kind of come full circle when it was the first one that I attended um, in the city of that festival um, uh, this year. Um, and I think you're right. I think the on, the mix between online and in-person worked really well. I watched quite a lot through their online portal and I know that there's a public portal that's, that's live now for, for um, people to watch stuff from home. And I think the inclusion of um, having uh, having partnered with different cinemas up and down the UK um, works well. I know that London Film Festival have been doing that and uh, so Glasgow followed suit and they partnered with the uh, Edinburgh Film House, which it's great for me being based in Edinburgh so I could go and see happening mm. in Edinburgh uh, rather than going through to, to Glasgow for the night. But I did make it through for, for one day of screening, so it was really nice to be back in the GFT and to enjoy that in-person festival experience. Yeah, the GFT had a real sort of buzz to it over the past couple of weeks. It's It's been really, well, it's been packed full of people, but it's had a real energy Um that that's sort of been been lacking over the past two years of uh, you know pandemic festivals so I, I i thought they did a really good job great and i agree i also uh the last big festival uh before i went to berlin alley this year was uh yeah going to glasgow a couple years before it was definitely a couple weeks before the um yeah the pandemic hit um, pretty pretty intensely and um, I do remember yes yeah, seeing people I, I also spend uh, I highly recommend the industry programs and um, and how they you know how and, and really focusing on yeah Scottish film um, I got to the opportunity to see um, some of the short films made for the short circuit program which Glasgow film is associated with and because uh, a, f- a friend and colleague of Cinetopia um, was uh, pre- premiering 
uh, her f- produced uh, film and also starring Jamie Robson, who is a friend of Cenotopia as well. So um, it was a really great film. This was A90, but there was a lot of really wonderful new films that they're they're helping produce and Screen Scotland um, funded as well. So that was an incredible thing to see. Um, you know, d- definitely these um, industry events bringing together the community around. It's it's a really it's a really good program on on that side as well. So um, between the audience and the industry program happening in person, this is the first festival that I've seen that's done that. You know, in a while. Um, you know, and 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 very effectively in, up you know here. So excited excited that it was back and like I love to hear about the energy coming back as well to, to to the theaters like GFT, which is really, really lovely theater. Yeah, it seems there were good industry events, like you say. Um, I, I couldn't go. I was in a, a, a weird private screening of Benediction, which we'll talk about later. Um, but I, I heard there was a really good event on how to break into film journalism at the CCA um, that, that I heard was a really strong, really strong event with some good uh, Scottish talent speaking. And was there any gaffes that you found, like you said, the, there was potentially some issues with, uh, was there anything that didn't, didn't go perfectly well for you? Um, I think there was a, a, a few minor teething problems with, uh, with the portal and with some of the screenings. I think um, I, I was at the press screening of Benedetta, uh, which I, I really enjoyed. And I think for the first couple of um, the, the opening titles were had no music um and we kind of thought oh this is unusual and then obviously the film begins and there was no sound at all so um there was a little bit of a snag with the projectionist but uh, it all got fixed pretty quickly so we ended up a little five five ten minutes uh behind schedule so it made for a mad dash down to the cine world to to see both sides of the blade afterwards but um but yeah all part of the fun of a festival uh, yeah, I, I think there were a few technical hiccups, um, but the, the the festival staff were very uh, responsive and, and great at sorting things out. Um, I mentioned there was an issue with the benediction screening, press screening I went to, uh, so they rescheduled it. But I think that most people, most press had gone into a different film. So I ended up being the only person in this screening room for the benediction press screening. Um, so it was like a weird private screening. <laughs> just for me and I felt like should I take off my mask is that would that be allowed um but no I just sat with a mask on in an empty room watching uh benediction what a glorious experience um yeah no I I think I think all of those are relatively normal things that will happen with a large mm. large, large film festival these things happen and um we'll go I'll go into a little bit more detail of uh, Amaya and I will where Berlin Alley probably had way more hiccups. So um, yeah, uh, definitely, um, yeah, applaud uh, Glasgow Film for for a great. I agree. The, the the staff was really friendly throughout the whole experience that I had when I went when I came um, to, to to visit um, as part of the festival. So definitely, always recommend this. And we're going to get into some some films right now and go over lots of films that you should check out as they come available in cinemas across the UK or the world.
So the first film we're going to review is The Worst Person in the World. Um, Gary, why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about this film? Uh, yeah, so the, the Worst Person in the World, it's uh, directed by Joaquin Trier. Um, it's the third film in what's been known as his Oslo trilogy. Um, it stars Renata Reinsva as uh, Julie, and it looks at four years in her life while she uh, navigates uh, different relationships and trying to carve a career path for herself. What did you all think of this film? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was... Uh, it was quite refreshingly written. I think it shows uh, uh, it was a great female uh, leading character who knows her own mind and she challenges uh, the people around her. And yeah, it was just it was told it, like story wise, like on paper, the narrative might might not seem the most um, original, but I think the way that it unfolds and the way that it's acted, it was uh, quite innovative in the way that it, it um, approached the story. Yeah, I, I I liked it. It was it's it's a good you know kind of modern take on the romantic comedy um which i really appreciated it's i think i'm a little cool on it partly because it's been doing the festival circuit for some time so i'd heard a lot about how great worst person in the world is um and it's up for a lot of awards um particularly the the lead actress renata ransva is is up for a lot of uh leading actress awards um and she is brilliant in it she is fantastic but I think I, I I sort of went into the film with very high expectations, which for me didn't meet. I think there's just a few a few niggles I had with it that um, took away from the experience. But a good a good film. Yeah, there there was there was so much uh, hype leading into it, and yeah. with the, I feel like it's one of those films that. Um, on on Twitter and on social media, like the same the same stills have been shared for it for, <laughs> for for months on Twitter. So you're kind of finally waiting to see it. Um, for for me, it, it, it lived up to the expectations. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'd been waiting to see it since um, I think it was at BFI London Film Festival when I was still in London a few months ago, and it, it sold out like that the public screenings. So I didn't. Didn't get to see it there, so I've sort of had months of stewing on that to, uh, to, to yeah, to wait. Yeah, um, I think um, what's interesting as well is that it's tapping into this sort of new uh, subgenre of coming of age films, whereby it's not somebody in their late teens or their twenties, but it's somebody who's a little bit older and they're still just uh, finding their place, which uh, I guess is a reflection on on um society but i think uh i think this one tackles it very well yeah she's a kind of elder millennial so she's like on the cusp of her 30s um i think she turns 30 in the film right um and she's yeah feeling a bit lost in terms of job in terms of relationship and i i think that is a highly relatable thing for a lot of elder millennials who've sort of grown up um in a period of kind of economic turmoil and you know uh, economic depression and feel a little adrift like they don't have the security that uh, generations before them have had so i can see it i can see it appealing to that kind of broader um elder millennial group yeah um there there is a a moment i think like it's particularly universal and i wouldn't without like 
spoiling it or giving away too much. There's just a moment where she's at a bit of a crossroads and they, it gets a little bit fantastical in terms of her exploring the, the what ifs. And I'm sure that's something that a lot of people will watch and relate to and think, um, if only we all had the, the chance to explore different avenues without dealing with the consequences straight away. Yeah, yeah, I, I know the moment you're referring to, and I really liked that that sort of fantastical turn that it suddenly took. I kind of wished it had dug into that a little more, because at the moment it sort of stands out as one moment in the film that doesn't quite mesh with the rest of it. I, I sort of wanted more, more of that uh, fantastical nature to sort of set it apart from other romantic comedies. I, you know, I, I read something or someone on that I follow on Twitter say, you know, this is a film that wouldn't get made in the U.S. or in Hollywood. I'm not sure if I totally agree because I think it does seem like a pretty, I, I wouldn't even call it a rom-com, I would call it definitely a drama, but it does seem like a fairly, um, you know, film that was made for an international audience, but using the backdrop, obviously, of Oslo. And, you know, and it was it's definitely a story that I feel like you could have seen in any kind of urban, you know, any urban place. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite beautiful. I think I also really do agree. It was like coming certain crossroads in your life where they don't just happen at one particular part of your life, they happen, they continually happen, or you're continually grappling with certain things that there are certain expectations for you to have at certain points of your life, or in certain relationships. So I think it's also dealing with those multiple relationships that um, the main character went through. What I also, like I said, I wouldn't, I necessarily wouldn't call it a rom-com, maybe it is being referred to as that uh, there's parts that were obviously kind of humorous, or, you know, sort of, um, surrealist, if you will, you know, like certain, mm. you know, certain things that they do that, you know, then take you out of like the reality of, you know, like a, a typical film. But I also found it obviously near the end, very sad and, um, and quite sad. I was, I was, yeah, I was taken back and not, not preparing, prepared for that. And also kind of what, how relationships, you know, take different parts of your life and how you, you know, you can't forget them, you know, even if you, if you leave them, um, what, how important those people will be, uh, yeah, for your future forever. And I, I think that handled, I don't think it was incredibly innovative, but it didn't have to be like, I think it, it actually was very resonant because it was very universal. And, um, I liked seeing that, that particularly from, yeah, from a new city, from a new culture, you know, something that maybe not, I'm not very, I'm not, I don't know that much about Norwegian cinema. Um, but I thought this, I thought this really, this really drew me in. Yeah, I, I appreciated it's, it's very um, female led perspective, like, like it's from the perspective of this woman, of this young woman, Julie. Um, and I feel like that's in response to a lot of years of this kind of film being from a man's perspective. Like there's at one point Julie talks about um, if if men had periods, if men menstruated, that would be all we hear about. You know, it wouldn't be endless dick jokes. It would be a lot of period chat. Um, and I feel like that speaks to what you were saying, Amanda, like this wouldn't get made in America because I think America is only just coming around to that um, woman-led perspective. It's still a very man-dominated industry, I think, the sort of Hollywood system. 
perhaps in films, but also I'm thinking of shows like Insecure or even, you know, to a smaller extent, Girls, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely women led, you know, TV shows that this, you know, has a similar kind of, that maybe have, that they take more, take more chances or, 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 or or I could see connections with, um, and also just grappling, yeah, with the, with, again, a very independent person coming out of, you know, I think she wrote an article about like oral sex in the time of Me Too, which had a very independent take on that subject, perhaps challenging what you would normally see, I guess. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think um, it, it, does, it touches upon topics that um, might come across as being daring or like edgy but I kind of think that the way things are going it it, it shouldn't be it should is some is it's got universal appeal and it touches upon areas that are in, in everyday conversations between friends and in relationships so I don't see why that that shouldn't be the norm in in cinema as well. Simon you mentioned a few things that you didn't like about it um what were those? Uh, yeah so apart from sort of things I've already mentioned I, I think I'd sort of seen it build as like the first post Me Too uh, romantic comedy or or romantic drama. Um, And I guess those elements of it, those kinds of very contemporary elements felt a bit, um, they didn't feel cohesive with the rest of the film. So you mentioned she writes an article about sort of oral sex in the age of Me Too. um, But that doesn't, it, it didn't really contribute to the sort of narrative. And then there's a bit later where her 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 ex-boyfriend appears on TV and he's sort of getting cancelled for um uh for his comics, for his sort of lewd comics, lewd misogynistic comics. And again, that didn't feel like it went anywhere. It, it just felt like a um a moment of the film trying to be very contemporary. That didn't actually gel with the rest of the narrative. So that kind of stood out to me. I I, I, I sort of appreciate what the film's trying to do. It just didn't work for me. Um I like I, I can I can see where Simon's uh coming from that some of these some of these plot points, um, yeah, the letter and yeah, the scene the scene around the the, the a radio show where where an ex-boyfriend is is being challenged on his views. Um I agree. Maybe partly it seems like they're like wedged in to make make a point, but I think it like it all ties in with the with the title of the film, I guess, in a way that mm-hmm. it's like this hyperbolic uh, worst person in the world. Like you're gonna um, like if somebody somebody's like defined by their traits and relationships, and I think in this like there is quite it kind of like lives in the lives in the gray areas between like. There, there's no it doesn't pit like there's no good there's not so much good guys and bad guys in this film it's all just it's people that are uh that make mistakes and that uh live by their mistakes and how how even if a relationship goes sour um it still lives with the person who's been in it because it defines part of who they are and what they're going to go on to next yeah i mean i i, I think for me, it did. I mean, I, I see your point. I think there are certain times where I feel like other films, and I would like to point to like Annette, used kind of like 
a me too sort of theme that just just kind of popped in there and felt yes. really inappropriate and not actually part of the story it was like almost unnecessary and I think maybe what Gary you're kind of alluding to or why it didn't feel that way for me is that these are complex characters and you know having we can share we can share or look at them in judgment on certain you know in certain situations or certain things that they might have done I mean infidelity or you know it's not it's not it's not an ideal thing or or you know or obviously um yeah the inappropriateness of you know her her, the character's comics or or things like that these are these are things that certainly do happen and they're 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 very complex characters and you're not going to totally love the main character completely or 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 hate the main character um but they're they're things that came before and after you know large movements and you know and you know or 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 sort of things that maybe you are thinking or discussing you know with with your with your partners or or whatnot um and that yeah relationships have their place but they also have their they have the they can they continue to be in your mind or they can you know like over time and and whatnot so I think yeah it overall was something that made me appreciate the um independence of the main character and the 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 right um for her to have these decisions and to make these choices and you know and and allowing that and I thought that was a really um yeah it was a great it was a great it felt it felt liberating in that way um to see just to see a, a main character like that and um and to connect with that whether or not you know it always seemed like she was doing the right thing or not you know yeah, I think that that Annette comparison is a, a really good one. Um, and I think where, I mean, we talked about Annette, I was on the Annette episode a few months ago, um, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but I think where where this works, whereas Annette didn't work for me, is is because of, like you say, the complexity of the main character, Julie. Like, Julie never feels like anything but a real person. She she feels like a real person in all her complexity in all the issues in her life the contradictions of that character she feels utterly real um and and it is a terrific acting job from from uh, Renata who who does such a good job of bringing that character to life and beautiful shot I think the 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 the, the film is actually quite beautiful. It's captivating as well. I think it's interesting. It it wasn't what I expected, so I I would highly recommend seeing it. Um, and yeah, and and letting us know what you think. Yeah, I, I would second that. I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's out uh, later in the month, and I hope that it gets a good um, a good cinema run. Okay, so then March twenty fifth, worst person in the world. Check it out if you like. The next film we're going to review is the French film Happening, um, directed by Audrey Duan, and it is stars Anne-Maria Bartolome, um, who plays the main character, Anne, who is a student in the 1960s who finds herself in the predicament of uh, being very, very dedicated to her studies, um, but pregnant, and at the time is seriously something that, um, yeah, 
cannot uh, happen. She would not be able to continue her studies and and be pregnant. And really, the whole film is very intense. It and deals with each sort of week and how uh, this main character is is secretly dealing with this the situation. Um, how you know how how she she attempts to to handle it. It is a very intense drama. It's um, you know and it's um. Yeah, it's it's very intense and uh, and and very close up and very you know and very dramatic in lots of ways, um, very personal. Um, I would love to know what you 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 both thought about this film. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's an intense experience. It is the kind of film where once the credits roll, you don't stand up immediately. You need to sit for five or ten minutes just to sort of take it in. Um, because yeah I don't want to reduce the film just to these scenes but there are some very visceral abortion scenes and sort of the aftermath of abortion scenes that are very full-on <laughs> that, that that definitely have you wincing in the cinema um because that that it's very much you know close up on this young woman's face while she has an abortion while she suffers the pain of uh, sort of self-administered and the backstreet abortion and it it really doesn't shy away from that pain and suffering that is caused by the kind of abortion policies of the day of, of 1960s France so it's very intense uh, it's got a kind of physical intensity that I would compare to Titan um, whereas that was kind of visceral violence this is kind of a violence of a different kind, a violence on your body, on, on young women's bodies, um, which, yeah, very intense, very intense. Um, yeah, I, guess I can echo, um, I guess, what you both touched upon. It was a very intense, very powerful experience um, watching that. We see things through the eyes of uh, the protagonist, and I think it's a credit to Anna-Marie Bartolome um, for, for that performance. We see this uh, young woman who, in the beginning, is quite cool and composed. And then, obviously, when she gets the, the, the bad news of her pregnancy, we just see her descent into fear and, uh, and terror. And the, the film plays like, a, like an intense suspense thriller, um, counting, counting up the weeks of her pregnancy. Um, and I thought that was really well done the way that it, it frames it and it shows the, the, the cards on the screen to say that it's three weeks, then four weeks. And you feel that intensity building um, as she, she tries to um, tries to end the, the pregnancy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I, I'd written in my notes as well, touching upon uh, Titan and how, yeah, there's definitely, there's comparisons to be made there. I think there was just the silence of everybody in the cinema watching it with their hands <laughs> over their eyes with the masks on it's like it was a very difficult watch but you you know a pin drop in the in the cinema and I think um sound sound wise uh I found it quite interesting the fact that usually to build suspense filmmakers might use a score to amplify that intensity but there was almost uh Audrey Devan went against that um and she kind of used the absence of sound and the and the silence to like create this this suspense. Thought that was really well done. 
Yeah, I, I think the sort of narrative device, like you say, Gary, of um, showing every week, counting down the weeks, really puts you into the sort of mindset of a young woman who is pregnant and who sort of needs to get rid of the the, the fetus before a certain point. Like you feel that dramatic tension rise as as each week passes because um, she's worried about having a baby and ruining her life. Like she, it's not part of the the plan that she has for her life. She wants to go to university. Um, and like you say, it's a brilliant performance from uh, Amaria Vatalome. She is, she's terrific. She gets across a lot of uh, the emotions of the character. She's got these very piercing eyes uh, that really capture a lot of the uh, emotions. Uh, she's very good she she really carries the film and does a terrific job yeah I, I agree with you both on the titan connection in terms of just this idea of a visceral body horror mm. experience um and equally did not see this in the cinema um and did not see titan in the cinema and i think both would have been too hard for me and i don't know if this is the like trajectory of lots of films going on <laughs> that I might not be able to go to the cinema for, for many of them. Um, but, uh, but all I echo everything you've said in terms of the, the anxiety as it creeps up every week by using that kind of, um, that kind of uh, narrative structure and to feel really personal. It's just the way it was shot that like you even said, like the, the reliance of a much, a, a very real reality-based sort of close-up um, look that made you, made, made you really feel for the main character, but also the performance. I also kind of think, you know, a little bit, I don't know, maybe this is kind of off, but a Spencer, which was again, another, so someone would say, almost shot in a horror film sort of way but there's just the there's so much isolation with this one character who has to make this decision and keep you know and 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 is so and and keeping all of this very secret and um in order to just to, to survive in order to to get through each day in order to you know in, in order to certainly choose the the life that she has the right to choose and um in a time that we you know that that would not have let her do that and um and all of her people that she would reach out to who kind of didn't didn't help her or you know or or weren't weren't able to help her or afraid to help her um it's it's really it's a hard watch but it's a it's an it's an important watch and it's a it's a good film and um you know I I thought it was I thought it was really good I, I really I really did I'm glad I did see it um, and I and I do think about the never, rarely, sometimes, always, which was completely handling a similar subject, but in a different way. I also really loved that film. But I think these films, um, yeah, are really powerful and really important in telling really important, um, you know, a story of a, a story of a young woman, you know, dealing with this. That um, so I, I, I I'm I'm glad I saw it. But again, very hard, as you mentioned, Simon. Some very key scenes that are very intense to 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 take on and um yeah i think it was interesting what you touched upon there amanda about the the isolation that they that they build throughout the film and how we see scenes where um where Anne will 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 turn to friends or turn to family and she consults a doctor and just how these 
relationships are portrayed in the film to increase that um, loneliness, really, as she's going through this very much on her own. And it's filmed in a like 4-3 ratio. It's like quite, there's a, it's a claustrophobia to it, I guess, in, in the way that she, this um, pregnancy is like closing in on her and her hopes and her aspirations for, for the future. Um, uh, yeah, and I think I, I, I can't speak to know too much about uh, the, the the culture at that time and the history of like 1960s Paris, but I don't know, you'd think you'd associate the 60s with like this freewheeling, like swinging 60s time where um, things were sh- should have been a, a little bit more uh, liberal by then. And I think this film totally breaks that um, that preconception to show that... Um, yeah, show how harsh the conditions were for for young women that would uh, fall pregnant and not want to. I found it, yeah, a very, very hard watch, but a very important film. Yeah, I, I really like the Spencer comparison you made, Amanda, um, because I think that speaks to the horror that you've both mentioned of, of how the pregnancy is portrayed. And, um, like, everyone that... Uh, Annie tells about her pregnancy, no one reacts happily. No one says congratulations. Even the doctors who who sort of look at her, examine her, know that she will not want this. Like they can tell that this young woman won't want a pregnancy at this time in her life. Um, and particularly her friends, her, the other uh, young students that she studies with, react with very visceral horror. They're like, this will ruin your life. This is awful. This is the worst thing that could happen to you, and I think that 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 um, that big horror reaction from everyone really helps to emphasize the claustrophobia, like you say, Gary, of 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 her circumstance, of what's happening to her, and it really puts you in puts you in her shoes, you know. Yeah, and um, just going going back to the the reaction from the friends, where there's a scene where she tries to almost test the waters a little bit and alludes to the idea of becoming pregnant and mm. obviously we know as the audience that she is at that stage but our friends don't know and one of the friends reacts with I'm sure she says um, it's not even funny to joke about things like that it's just the the, the attitude towards it at that time was just shocking to me um, but yeah I thought it was very well acted all across the board yeah, because we, we're talking about uh, 1960s France and the kind of social climate there. But um, I think it's good to emphasise that we are talking about people going to jail. Like women would go to jail if they had abortions. That That's what she's afraid of as much as having a baby. Like if she has the baby, she's sort of trapped by this baby. If she gets an abortion, she could go to jail. So it's it's a really tricky dilemma that the character finds themselves in that you know, you kind of might not appreciate what with contemporary laws on abortion being being so different. Absolutely. And um, so we it seems as though we all highly recommend this film, but uh, but let you know, it's quite intense. Um, so it's certainly something to be aware of um, in terms of warning. Um, but uh, happening is coming out um, on the 26th, 22nd of April. Um, in the UK, so look out for that.
the final film we're going to review together uh, as part of that was at the Glasgow Film Festival is Benediction, directed by Terence Davies. Simon, give us an overview of this film. Yeah, uh, so Benediction is directed by Terence Davies. It is a biopic of the poet Siegfried Sassoon. The buzzer just went off. Maybe that wasn't audible, but I will start again. Um, So Benediction, directed by Terence Davies, is a biopic of the poet uh, Siegfried Sassoon, sort of a British poet known for his uh, war poetry. Um, At the start of the film, he's a soldier in World War One, uh, and is sort of sent to a uh, a hospital for soldiers because of his kind of uh, views on on the war and his kind of um, what would you call it his his his, his anti war views. Um, we follow him from this hospital in Edinburgh to uh, the rest of his life down in London, where he meets a load of theatre people, musical theatre people, and sort of makes a name for himself as a young poet, meeting people like Wilfred Owen and Robbie Ross and uh, Ivan Novello on the way. And um, yeah, Siegfried Sassoon himself is played by uh, Jack Loudon uh, in the young scenes and by Peter Capaldi in the older scenes. So it's... uh, yeah, an, an interesting biopic, an interesting figure. I'm keen to hear what you two thought of it. Um, I really enjoyed the film. Um, I, I'd heard of Secret Sassoon, obviously, going into it, but I, I didn't know much about him or his life. Um, so I found this film to be very insightful. Um, I enjoyed that it celebrated um, his poetry as well. I thought um, the inclusion of having scenes of archive footage from the war along with his his poems, I think it it, it added to, to build depth of character and to, to sort of celebrate his poetry that um, perhaps people like me weren't, weren't aware of going into it. Um, yeah, I think in terms of uh, biopic, we're seeing more and more uh, the biopic structure being played with and um, things like uh, Spencer, I guess, like focusing on one weekend or um, there's different narrative structures that are being looked at. And I, I felt like this one um, was a little bit more conventional in terms of its structure, um, but being conventional isn't, isn't always a bad thing. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I found it very um, insightful and, and well acted. Yeah, I mean, being conventional isn't always a bad thing. And I I always say that specifically around docs, you know, like I don't mind a talking head documentary. Um, I didn't find, I found the story to be interesting because I knew nothing about um, his life. Um, I, you know, and and it certainly was very, very pretty. And it was, you know, a period piece and, you know, in in the UK and, you know, so, you know, Downton Abbey-esque, you know, like shots or whatnot. Um, But I didn't find the way that they handled the archive footage. I mean, but I just didn't really get the, like the morphine of the archive footage on top of like the, the, you know, the, 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 the period scenes with, with Jack Loudon and it just didn't work for me in that way. So I didn't, I didn't actually get captivated by the way the film was made. I thought it was a bit conventional, something you have seen for a while, perhaps 
you know, filmmaker has been around for a while, makes films in a very certain way. And, you know, and potentially in that case, I did think the story was interesting. I think, um, you know, I think you could, I think the, the performances were good. I think, I just didn't think the film was particularly like, uh, yeah, like it didn't captivate me all the time. And I think what did take me away was some of these go back to the war, uh, you know, archive footage, like sort of montaged over, you know, uh, over the actor. And it, 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 that felt a little awkward to me. Mm. I, I, I liked it. I really, I thought it's, it's like our previous two films. It's got a very strong central performance. Mm. I, I think Jack Loudon is terrific in that role. Um, he, he's kind of, uh, I wrote in my take one review, he's kind of a mix between Simon Pegg and Michael Fassbender sort of facially. Um, and I think he brings the best qualities of both of those actors. Um, it, it, he, he's so good that I was actually disappointed when the film goes, like flashes forward to Peter Capaldi, who's good, but not, it's not his best performance. He's, he's just fine. He's doing a good Peter Capaldi performance, but um yeah, I, I I I think there is some unevenness with those scenes, the the kind of archive footage over poetry. Um, I, I like the idea of representing poetry on screen in that way. Uh, I'll, I'll agree with you. I don't think it's that cohesive with the main narrative thrust of the film. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that the film. The, the main narrative scenes when he goes he goes to London, he's becoming a poet. There's a lot of scenes of sort of trading uh, one-liners back and forth, trading witty repartee uh, between characters uh, in a kind of very portion-privileged way. I, I sort of dialed into it as the film went on and sort of enjoyed this kind of Oscar Wilde quality to, to the dialogue. But I think it will put some people off because it's... There are a lot of scenes that seem like endless witticisms back and forth between upper class British English people. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that, and I, I agree. I guess that the narrative is a, a little bit messy in terms of the um the way that it includes the poetry, which worked for me, but I can see I can see why it, it might have not worked. But I agree with um, Simon on the. The, the jumping forward to the Pierre Capaldi as a older secrets as soon looking back. I thought I thought that's that stuff was fine, but I really think the film hinges on the performance of Jack Loudon. Uh, and I agree he was I thought he was very well cast in this and I think he has this charm to him where you're drawn to the character and you like him but um there's also this like quiet anguish and this sadness to him. Um, because of the way that he 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 can't really he can't live the life that he wants to to lead, which was um, uh, definitely because of the time that he was living in. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think the 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 highlights of the film are definitely Jack Loudon's scenes and and his relationships within it, where he meets um, Ivor Novello, and I think the stuff with Wilfred Owen. Uh, it's, it's impactful and you can see how it shapes uh, Siegfried Sassoon uh, moving forward in his life after the war. Yeah, I, I think the core of the film is young Siegfried Sassoon, such that the Capaldi scenes feel like an epilogue 
that is peppered throughout the film. So it doesn't really feel necessary. I think you could have trimmed those scenes out and it would be a fine film uh, all by itself. Um, yeah, you've mentioned Ivan Novello there as well, who is uh, the actor who plays him is is just just wonderfully slimy. He's like a horrible figure on screen, like this this very sort of uh, bitchy, posh musical theatre actor. He's he's very fun to watch. Very fun to watch. Uh, who is it? Jeremy Irvine is is the actor who plays him. I agree. Fun to watch and also hard to <laughs> hard to fall in love with. But you know, yes. uh, but uh, no, definitely the. I think what you've both said is true. I think that Jack Loudon's um, yeah performance was really good. I think the other stuff was just and and the stories of these relationships. I think those that was very interesting. I think for a biopic, it was also very interesting. I think I agree. I would take the Peter Capaldi segments out as much as possible and the archive montages as well so and you know I I love as you like seeing poetry come to life on um you know on on screen as well Bright Star is one of my favorite films and you know I think it can be handled in a lot of a lot of ways um you know this was just not you know Mm -hmm. I mean it was it was fine and I I won't complain I think it was worth seeing the story it's worth the story being told um it was just not necessarily anything new or really great and it's you know and it's a uh, regular uh way of making films for me yeah i i think the film starting with those kind of disconnected vignettes those kinds of archive scenes with poetry on top creates the impression of a different kind of film than it is it, it it's it becomes a fairly conventional biopic but starting with these dreamlike poetry scenes just creates the impression of a film that it isn't you know what i mean yeah it, it is a little bit of a film of two halves in a way um yeah. that whole the whole um opening section of the war poetry and his um defiance against the war um and then really after there, then there's that kind of split and then the second half of the film looks at his uh, lifestyle as a socialite which um i found to be uh, more more interesting, I think, than the than the earlier stuff. Yeah, agreed. Great. So, Benediction is going to well. It was part of the Glasgow Film Festival. It will be out in May. So, take a look for that, um, and definitely check it out if you like. So we we took a we took a very good look at three films as part of the Glasgow Film Festival. But I'd like to actually open it back up to Simon and Gary to give a few of their um, recommendations of other films. Um, you both saw quite a lot of films. So tell us about uh, what other films you should be looking out for um, as they come into cinemas or come online in the coming months. Um, what, one of the ones um, that I've seen that um, I'm not seeing a lot of chat around, which I would like to highlight and, and champion, is a film called La Seville. Um, it's been released by Signature Entertainment, and it's actually from the day of recording. Today's the thirteenth. It's actually released from the fourteenth uh, digitally and on demand. Um, so this is the first uh, first fictional. It's based on true events, but it's the first non-documentary film from a director who's primarily known for her documentaries. Her name's Teodora Mihai. 
um, and she it's this it's a story of a mother who is based in Mexico and it's based around a there's a kidnapping um a, a young girl is snatched by the cartel and um I think we've, we've all probably seen crime thrillers that are based around um the Mexican cartel and uh, this one tells the story a little bit differently because it tells it from the eyes of a suffering mother as she tries to get to the bottom of who, who's who's taken her daughter and why. Um, and I found it very powerful, very well acted. And I guess because of the director's background in documentary filmmaking, this feels very real and very naturalistic. It's like a social realist um uh, style to the film that I really enjoyed, so I would I would highlight that one as and recommend that. Uh, there's a full review of that on my website, cinemaperspective.com. Um, so yeah, that's my maybe underseen uh, recommendation for the festival. Mm, that sounds good. Um, yeah, I, I saw saw quite a few films. So I, I really liked um, Gasman Noe's new film uh, Vortex, uh, which is a film about uh, an older woman with dementia and how that affects her husband and her family. I, I think that will get a lot of chat when it comes out. I think it comes out in the UK in May. Um, a Banquet is another film that's from Scottish director Ruth Paxton. That's a really strong horror film that I get, again, I think will get a lot of chat uh, when it comes out. It might already be available to rent, actually. Um, but that's a, I, I found that a really strong contemporary horror film. But yeah, like Gary, I'd like to highlight some of the smaller uh, releases that might not get as much chat. I saw uh, Homage, which is a South Korean film from director Shin Soo Won. Um, a really good film about uh, a female film filmmaker looking to restore uh, a film from one of the first female directors in Korea. Um, it was really surprising for me. It, it's just says so much about cinema and and female filmmakers uh, and it's got some really striking imagery that has really stayed with me uh, so very surprising and very effective um and another film is uh, Ashgrove which uh directed by Jeremy Lalonde it's a i think it's a canadian film about um a couple in the midst of a a water pandemic so it's it's kind of a kind of a pandemic film uh where water has become toxic and you can only drink so much water um it kind of snuck up on me with with some heavy themes uh that i wasn't expecting it to tackle and to tackle so well so it's i i think that's a really interesting one that will be coming out at some point soon yeah i agree with you i was um i was I, I quite enjoy that one as well. And um, I also stay tuned because we'll be talking to Jonas Chernick, who is the producer and actor um, about that uh, film uh, on the, on the show, uh, but definitely surprised me a lot in terms of how much I, I enjoyed that. Um, so good. Also both sides of the blade, Claire Denis, you both, I think saw that film. I saw it in um, Berlin, yeah. but um, it was also as part of the Glasgow film festival. What did you think of that? Uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sold on it, to be honest. Um, I, I think it's got two strong performances. Like, I, I sort of rearranged my day to go and see the film when I learned that Juliette Binoche was in it, because I'll go and see anything that Juliette Binoche is in. Um, and she's very good in it. Uh, Vincent Linden from Titan uh, is very good in it. 
but it just doesn't come together. Like it's it's got a lot of subplots that don't really go anywhere, and it's it's the the use of music feels very melodramatic, um, and it it's yeah it didn't didn't really work for me. I wish I was watching um, what's the one with Robert Pattinson in it, High Life, Claire Denise High Life instead. Uh, yeah, I can kind of um, agree with you there, Simon. Um, I went to see both sides of the blade, or fire, as it's also known as, as well. And yeah, I thought Juliet Binoff was was good in it. And I, probably the highlight in it for me was Vincent Linden. Um, but I agree, there were so many moments in it which alluded to where the story might have went. And it just never quite, um, never quite gripped me. Um felt this the style the style that it was made very close up camera shots and um just i don't know the the style with it so something i just i just didn't really i struggled to connect with this story and it all felt a little bit um like a, a wandering narrative that never quite settled at all for the whole film yeah i think there's a good film in there if you give it a good edit and 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 change some of the music but <laughs> Yeah, that 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 wasn't it. But no, I also wanted to ask because actually Claire Denis won the uh, Best Director Award at Berlin for that film. Um, and I think there's probably um interesting choice given that um Alcaraz and Carly Simone, you know, won the won, yeah. won the best film and it's quite a quite a power I've not seen it yet, but um many people have obviously said it's quite a quite a wonderful film. So maybe it was one of those, you know. Claire Denis gets it because <laughs> because of yeah the what do you call it the um yeah the overtime sort of you know lifetime achievement <laughs> or whatnot yeah yeah the kind of spikely Maybe. effect yes the spike the, yeah. well or I was going to say the um the Martin Scorsese effect yeah. right yes <laughs> I like yeah. uh, DiCaprio or whatever it feels like he was yeah. he was old one by the time he did the Revenant yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I sort of second that. Um, but also good that, yeah, the film came to, you know, a Claire Denis film was part of, yeah, the Glasgow Film Festival. I'm I'm a big fan of Claire Denis' work. So I can, even if it's sort of wandering in narrative, um, and like you said, Juliet Binoche, I'm, I'm, I'm always up for it anyway. Um, any other films? Did you see The Hermit of Trigue? Yes, I was going to say on, on Scottish documentaries, I saw The Hermit of Trigue and um which is yeah an interesting little documentary about uh a man who lives on his own near uh, Loch Treague um and sort of depicts uh how he deals with the solitude how he deals with health issues um just a really nice little film like really compassionate and and with a clear a clear view of the subject uh, i i enjoyed that um i'm yet to see uh, heron of Treague, but i've heard very good things about it so it's it's definitely on my list to check out um there's one other film that i would like to mention and i guess uh quite a lot of the films we've spoken about today are very very uh, dark in their subject matter so this one it's french and it's like a breath of fresh air in comparison in terms of the <laughs> subject matter so it's the first time feature from charlene bourgeois taquet if i'm pronouncing that correctly and it's a romantic comedy called a nice in love it was based around a woman called Anais. Um, and yeah, I just found it a lot of fun. It's set across a Parisian summer. It really captures that kind of spontaneity, carefree attitude of like a summer holiday. Um, I thought the leading performance was was really uh, 
really brilliant. Um, I think it's got s- similar themes um, to the worst person in the world. Um, so I hope that um, so it might be a little bit. Hope worst person in the world might take all the attention, and this one might get overlooked a little bit. But um, but I hope that that doesn't happen, and I think that people should try and see it. I believe it's getting a release uh, towards the end of April, so I hope that it turns up in some UK cinemas too. That's great. Yeah, I've heard a lot about. I've heard a lot of chatter about Amazing Love, and that's that's sort of the film I regret not having seen this year. French and light and fun, you sold me, Gary, and that's that's the <laughs> film I need to check out now. After the intensity of our yeah our our screenings um, so far uh, with the Glasgow Film Festival, but yeah, no wonderful. Um, so you both uh, wrote quite a lot of reviews, um, and yeah, where can we find all of your film reviews of uh, of the festival? Just let us know. Um, so all of mine, I, I just write for my, my own little website. It's uh, cinemaperspective.com and you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at cineperspective and um, you can find all my reviews on there. Uh, yep, my reviews are on uh, Take One. Uh, so that's takeonecinema.net and I'm on Twitter at, at SimonXIX. Jonas Chernick, who is the writer, producer, and actor of Ashgrove, which is a Canadian film that is making its world premiere at the Glasgow Film Festival this year. Jonas, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Amanda. It's my pleasure. So really just take us through, I, I, I just finished watching the film. Um, I absolutely loved it. It makes me really want to go um, to a, a Canadian farmhouse for the summer, um, you know, and eat a lot of farm vegetables and whatnot. Um, but uh, I was wondering if you tell us how you brought this film to Glasgow specifically. Yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, I, I collaborated on the film with my director, co-writer, co-producer, Jeremy Lalonde. We've made a bunch of films together. The last one we made, which is right above me here, James versus his future self. Um, we actually had our European premiere at Glasgow. And we had the best time. We traveled there. Uh, it was two years ago exactly. We had the best week, and we left there, saying to ourselves, "If we ever have a chance to return to this festival, we're doing it." And um, here we are, two years later. There's been a pandemic right in between both uh, festivals, both screenings, um, and but we're really excited for our world premiere. I can't think of a better place. We fell in love with the city and the festival. It's one of the best festivals in the world. Hands down, I've been to dozens and if not hundreds, and and I I'm I'm in love. Oh, um, yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that you say that about it's uh, about Glasgow Film Festival. I feel the same way. I really love the energy there, and as someone who lives in Edinburgh, I love to go over um, to Glasgow for lots of film events. But specifically, this is the time of the year. It's very exciting to to go. Tell um, so speaking of um, a pandemic in between your two films uh, being premiered. Uh, you, the story that Ashgrove uh, tells is around a world health crisis as well. Um, mm-hmm. Can you give us a little overview? I mean, also just curious when you um, produced it, when you thought of the idea, and because it does feel very timely, of course, um, and sort of how how you guys uh, did the production, the time frame around that. Yeah, we came up with it months before anyone had ever heard of COVID. Uh, we, we were, it was, it was uh, early October in 2019 
and we were on a, Jeremy and I, my co-writer and director, we were in a car driving from one film festival in Canada to the other one with this other the last film, and we decided we wanted to make a film unlike anything we'd made before, um, and so we kind of hatched this plan. Originally, I had pitched him on, let's do a story about a marriage collapsing and just get really intimate and really raw and really honest with these characters. And, and it was him that said, let's, let's, let's do that, but let's make the, the stakes really high outside of the room that they're in. Uh, he said, let's have the world ending outside. And so we came up with this idea. We never used the word pandemic. We called it a, a water crisis. We love the idea of the paradox that as humans, we need water to survive but it becomes the very thing that's starting to kill us. Um, and so we wove that into the story. And of course, there's a metaphor at play there about love and toxicity and lies and all of these things. And then, we, we, uh, and then the pandemic hit, but we didn't change the way we were gonna make the film at all because we'd already planned to do this as a very small film, two to four actors, really small crew, one location. It lent itself perfectly to shooting during during the COVID times. And so we, we proceeded and uh, shot the film. And now uh, here we are, we held on to it. We didn't want to put it out in the world until we could be in festivals in person and be in a room with an audience watching them, watching them react to the film. And so that's, that's what brings us here to Glasgow. But we, we don't see it as a pandemic film. There's, a, there's definitely a, a world health crisis, but you don't see people in the film sick or wearing masks or that's not really where we're going with it. Although it's it's impossible to avoid the, uh, the the comparisons, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember we we inter we reviewed a film and interviewed a filmmaker who j it literally just came out, and it was a similar thing. There was just there's too much resonance sometimes when you're you've gone through what we have. But I agree. I think it's one of those things where it's definitely a metaphor. And as I said, I really loved how idyllic and the way that you shot um, just everything in a very kind of sumptuous way. So there was this real you know, like, like sensual way, mm -hmm. but then you have this underlying sense of toxicity. So it's like, every time I looked at that watermelon or, you know, or, or stuff like, you know, then you're like, oh, that's dangerous, you know? So I, I really loved that kind of parallel. How did you come around and getting your sort of, obviously you were in the film, but like uh, your, your other actors that, um, that came in to pl play the different parts? We were very excited about the idea of writing the film in a new kind of way, other than the way that Jeremy and I write all of our films, which is you work on a draft, you send it back and forth, you work on it, you work on it, you work on it, you rip it apart. We wanted to do something different. We wanted to build it from the ground up with the actors. So Amanda was cast the day after we came up with the idea. We brought her on as a writer, and the three of us together kind of started to build these characters and build this world um, and, and went from there. And, and she she's incredible in the film. Um, and, uh, you know, we were, she was really interested in this experiment of how we wanted to shoot a movie where we had other, um, there were secrets at play that sometimes the actors didn't know about. Jer Jeremy would direct the scene as written, and then he would throw something at us, and we would uh, sometimes go off page, off book, and try different things. And we shot the film chronologically. It gave us a lot of opportunity to, to play games with it and really experiment. And so it was a very freeing, kind of liberating way to make a film and one that we'd never done done before. It's interesting that, yeah, you come up with this concept and then sort of experimented with it. Through. I love to hear the methods on how people, yeah, actually make films. Um, you you talked that you've done a lot of work with Jeremy over, over the years. Uh, 
do you tend to seem to love to work with the same people over and over again? I mean, I love that kind of, I always think about films as being like a marriage sometimes because mm -hmm. you spend so much time and you really have to trust your partners and in, in, in this creative process. Um, how, yeah, how, how do you feel, yeah, your, your relationship is with in terms of the, all, all the filmmakers that you work with? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've collaborated with the same people over and over again. Jeremy and I made four films together. I've made seven films with, uh, a Canadian director named Sean Garrity. We just continue to generate material together. I'm really into the collaboration. I a lot of people say, "Why don't you direct? You want to direct?" No, I love the relationship between writer and director, and I uh, I, I always find that the best work comes from, like you say, a great marriage. And so Jeremy and I, we we we're different in a lot of ways. We complement each other. Um, uh, he he pulls me back. I push him a little bit further. Uh, we tend to have the same voice comedically, so we're able to kind of get each other's humor. And we've been made a lot of comedies. This film, Ashgrove, of course, not a comedy, but we've made a lot of comedies together. And we always like to up each other's joke. He'll write something funny. I'll tweak a, a syllable in it, and 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 you know, and suddenly we find. So we, so I enjoy that. I I really I get off on that relationship, on that collaboration, whether it's with other actors but certainly with, with directors and, and co-writers. Yeah. And, and you've, you've written a, quite a few films then. And are you, is that sort of been always your passion to write or has it been originally through the acting or it's just been kind of a combination? Acting uh, is my dream and my passion and my, my love writing, writing is agony. And I, I, uh, I hate it. The only reason I write these scripts is, to create these stories and characters for myself to act in. So I've never, I'm yet to write anything that I wasn't an, an actor in. Uh, I've been asked to do so. I've said no repeatedly. It's not, I just, it's a means to an end. There's a reward at the end. So it, that's the motivation for slaving away on a script for years and years and years and facing all of the uh, torment and rejection and torture and intellect and uh, existential angst. The ultimate you know, goal at the end, the reward is that I get to be uh, this character and I get to tell this story from an acting position. So if I never had to write again, I wouldn't, uh, I would just be an actor. But that said, it's been an incredibly rewarding journey. And a lot of these films that I've written have, you know, they've been successful to varying degrees, but they've allowed me to see, travel the world and, 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 and work with incredible people. So I'm not complaining, although it sounds like I'm complaining about writing. It? It's totally fine to complain to me about it because I I actually admire writers. I think they're so, so you know I cannot I, I I have a real difficult time sitting down and having the attention to sit down and write, uh, you know. So I, I admire them, and that's why I'm a documentary filmmaker. I like the work <laughs> of other people um, to tell my stories. But um, but yeah, I think that is really interesting because you know I, I do feel like your performance was really incredible and I, you really, you really understood that character really well because you, you know, you, you formed it as well. So I think, you know, it really did come off that way. And, you know, and it is nice to see a writer, writer, actor kind of, you know, role there as well, you know, in terms of not just writer, director or, or whatnot. So I, I, that was, that was really fascinating. What is, what's the plans for the future? Uh, do you, are you guys working on other projects together or uh, moving on to other stuff? Well, I'm I'm sure Jeremy and I will will make more films together. Uh, right now, we've we've actually we shot this movie almost a year and a half ago, and so we've both gone on and made other films since then, and Amanda as well. So Jeremy shot a film in the Cayman Islands that he directed, 
um, called Daniel's Gotta Die. It's going to come out later this year. I shot a movie um, a few months ago, uh, a sexy romantic comedy called The End of Sex that I wrote and that I, I act in with, um, with Emily Hampshire, who was on Schitt's Creek. Everybody, anyone who watched Schitt's Creek would know. Big fans. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, um, and Amanda has gone off to do a, a really amazing movie with uh, Brandon Cronenberg um, uh, called Infinity Pool that's going to come out this year. So we've made other films and uh, we're going to be promoting those. But right now it's really about getting Ashgrove out in the world. And we have a bunch of festivals lined up this year. And then the film will be released in Canada theatrically and on, on TV here. And it's starting to sell internationally so i'm really putting my energies behind promoting the movie right now i want i want people to see this movie it's uh it was a labor of love and it's kind of thrilling and exciting and it has a lot of surprises in it and i'm excited to see how people respond to it yeah it, i mean it was a labor worth it yeah uh, because it's, it's really good i really really enjoyed it i'm really glad that glasgow film festival is doing the world premiere that people in glasgow can see it um i'm interested to know if you're ever if you if if you think about possibly making a film in Scotland, I, I know the Canadian actually does a lot of co-productions mm -hmm. with the, we have a tight relation, you know, Canada and Scotland do a lot of, a lot of work together. So maybe this trip will uh, inspire you to think of a, a film in Scotland. Uh, that's a great thought. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy. I would love to make movies all over the world. You know, so far all the movies, all the stories that I've written, they're all very they're Canadian. I mean, they're universal, but they take place in Canada and, you know, I feel a, obviously a, a devotion, in it. but that said, if it's the right story, I would love to shoot in, in, in Scotland. That would be a dream come true. I mean, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm giddy. I'm traveling there tomorrow and I can't wait to be back there. So yes, I would love to do a film in, in Scotland. Well, yes, to definitely take a day, take the take the crew up and take a day and um, yeah, go out, go out to to the, you know, to Glencoe or something like that and and see how beautiful it is. We're, yeah. we're going to take a day trip to Edinburgh. I've never been. I've been to Glasgow. This will be my second time, but we've never none of us have been to Edinburgh. So we're going to take a day trip and take the train up, uh, trick the train over to Edinburgh and, and spend a day just walking around. And, and uh, I'm so excited to do that. Well, don't let the Glaswegians know, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, that I'm biased towards Edinburgh as well. It's one of the more beautiful cities in the world, but, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And congratulations, um, on your film and, um, you know, it's premiere. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely recommending everyone check it out in any way that they can, if they didn't see it at the Glasgow Film Festival. Thank you so much, Amen. It was really a pleasure talking to you and, and thanks again for having me. about another big film festival that happened in uh, February, the Berlin Alley. I'm here with Amaya Benuelos-Marco, who is a programmer for Cinetopia, a longtime programmer, especially on our doc program. Uh, Amaya, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> well, of course. And uh, we took a trip together to uh, Berlin in, around in February. Uh, it was not warm by any means, but... No. Uh, there was a lot of cinema happening in the city. Um, Berlin Film Festival is one of my favorites, not just because it's around my birthday, um, and I just love the cinemas of Berlin, but I think it's a really interesting um, festival, and uh, one that I've had the opportunity to go to 
a couple times now, um, but this time first, you know, as, in terms of uh, first time in the industry program. Uh, Amaya came as well. Amaya went, and uh, Amaya, what were what's what's your thoughts of Berlin Film Festival? Well, it was not my first time either. I've been a couple of times before, so um, yeah, I also enjoy the the festival a lot. The fact that it's spread out. Um, across the city in different lovely cinemas, um, which makes it quite special. Um, so yeah, it was it was great to be back to a festival. It felt uh, amazing to to be part of that. And um, I actually remember the first screening I went to see in the Berlinale Palace, which I'd never been there. And yeah, it, the glamour of the venue it was like wow. Um, you know, we haven't experienced that in like years since the pandemic. So. Yeah, um, it's a great festival. It's a great time of the year to be spending indoors watching good films. So, yeah, I love it. And what is your favorite cinema um, in Berlin that you got to see a film in? So this time I went for the first time to the Delphi Film Palace, which I'd never been before, and I loved it. I love the the style, and, um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Quite, quite beautiful and but before in previous years I've been to other cinemas I love the um, international which was you yeah know, that's one of the most beautiful yeah isn't it? yeah it's, it's it's and I w- actually I was really gutted not to see any films this time at that cinema but it didn't coincide with my schedule so yeah yeah, so I, I agree. The Delphi Film Palace is a gorgeous cinema, and it was actually quite nearby where I was staying. So I tried to hit, hit a film in the evening, late evening, every night there. Um, but one thing that was actually happened there, I, I saw a couple of, of screenings that didn't go according to plan, which as someone who's run a lot of film events, um, that's one of the scary things when like mm-hmm. tech doesn't work. And uh, the the it was a Portuguese film, and uh, they, by the end of it, the Q&A came and uh, the filmmaker came up and was really flustered. And I was, I was quite, uh, we were, I was wondering why. And then all of a sudden stopped the Q&A and said that the film had been completely projected in the wrong aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. So the whole film had been cut off. And uh, this was really shocking, I think, to the old audience as a world premiere. Um, but it just goes to show you that even the Berlin Alley can mess up a... Yeah, te- te- the technical screenings and mm-hmm. pr- pretty, pretty overwhelmingly bad on that part. So, mm-hmm. um, but also kind of amusing as someone again who's working working in film festivals, knowing that yeah. people get it wrong. So it's it's a bit of a relief, you know, when you see a big festival sort of messing things up, and then you're like, okay, actually, you know, we can do things better on a smaller scale as well. And um, yeah, I had a similar experience where a film I was meant to see at 6 p.m. only started one hour and a half later. There was this ceremony that was not advertised on the program. The ceremony started later. So, so yeah, it was, it was quite messy. Um, Do you think you got that shot in for it, like laughing or or whatever at the demise of someone else? And I didn't mean, it does make me feel slightly uncomfortable that that... Mm that that has happened it it uh, the the festival did didn't wasn't usually that slow to get to get going and yeah i thought it was actually really good that they had all these restrictions and stuff but there was a quite a lot of um yeah you know sort of making sure that everyone was safe in the space and i i sort of feel like they handled that quite well didn't mm-hmm. you yeah it was yeah it was great that they really 
went ahead with a festival despite the rise of cases of Omicron in Germany and, and then, you know, the, the value, you know, they gave to the screenings, you know, like they removed the whole industry section, which, you know, obviously it's a big part of the festival, but it kind of showed what's the essence of a film festival is the films, which has stayed in the program. And yeah, that was, that was nice to see. And the the big bit of a shame was that the Q and A's I didn't get to, I didn't get to see as many Q and A's as in other occasions just because as as you know it was only seven days that the directors could be in the festival so if you didn't catch that uh, screening with the Q and A then um, yeah you you didn't get the chance to experience the Q and A but um, apart from that I think yeah it was really well. Um, organized and yeah n not a single screening started on time <laughs> but then that was you know then you weren't you weren't rushed to your next screening either so yeah yeah and I I always do try to get too many films in in a day and so when that happens it yeah it kind of it messes up your plans um, but one, you know, speaking of, yeah, speaking of films, I mean, this one of the, like you mentioned, it's a really great audience festival for being mm -hmm. such a large, prominent film festival, um, being able to see some of the, the first world premieres of, you know, really high caliber films. Um, but it's also a program that just is massive. Mm -hmm. When you get the actual program, it's just a huge magazine mm -hmm. and it's hundreds of films and you know, you, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, my, my friend Kenneth, who, who lives in Berlin, I, I took him to a film festival, a, a film event a couple of years ago, and it was a documentary, a finished documentary on LARPing, and he still reminds <laughs> me that, he, that I took him on such a subject matter. But you really don't know what you're going to get, mm. and except a lot of times they're very, very high-caliber films. Um, overall, y you saw a lot more than I did. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there, The one thing to mention about the Berlin Alley that's always been kind of notable is that you have to usually wait get up really early and yeah. wait in long lines for tickets but yeah. because of covid they've changed this policy mm -hmm. which might actually be the one positive thing that's yes. changed about mm -hmm. you know the berlin alley is is not having to do that to so do it online you still had to get up early <laughs> and you had to be organized so mm -hmm. i think your experience with choosing your films was much more effective than mine but, um overall what was your impression of the films that you saw yeah, pretty good. I think I was, you know, so ready to just kind of immerse myself in a film festival. And as you said, there's some sections that are a bit of a, you know, risk-taking. You don't really know what you're going to get. It looks great on the program, but then it might be the most boring thing ever. But I think that's the great thing about going to a film festival, that you are more likely to just take the risk to see, like, something different and something that really disturbs you. And so, yeah, I... There's a few films that really stayed with me. Um, so I kind of start actually with the the Golden Bear winner, which is by uh, Carla Simon. So I, I love this director. She made the first film and presented at the Berlinale um, in 2017. And that film was summer 1993, and it went on a lot of festivals after that. And... So this, there was a lot of expectation with her second feature. And um, yeah, it passed with flying colors. It, it, it won the award. And uh, it's just the beautiful story of a family in a village in, in rural Catalonia that grow peaches. 
and the the film opens with the news that they need to leave the land that they are um, working on at the end of the harvest season because it doesn't belong to them and there's no paper that that says that the farm is theirs because back in the day the farm was given to them as a sort of favor so yeah it's, it's all with non-professional actors and which again she shows how um, what an amazing director she is she just gets the most naturalistic uh, performances for, from non-professional actors from children and it's, it's especially difficult in a film that is about a big family so and, and the camera just keeps moving from character to character and we see all of their different uh, views and experiences um, about this this uh, you know this terrible news and and just on an aesthetic level is beautifully shot um but it doesn't romanticize the land it doesn't romanticize the idea of or, you know, the poor peasants uh, grow in the land. It shows the toil of, of working um, in that type of job, but actually shows the beauty of the land as well. So, yeah, that was one of my, my highlights. Did you get to see that one, Amanda? No, I didn't, um, unfortunately, no. Well, I hope it gets released in the UK, and then you can see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. Um, it, sounds, it, it sounded wonderful when, yeah, when you told me about it. Um, I think we met for coffee or something, and, you mm. said, and, and, and then obviously winning. I'm always curious to see which wins. And I forgot to say the name. The name is Alcaraz, which is the name of the village where the film is set. And I, I think we both saw um, Una Ano Una Noche, mm-hmm. and I really liked that film. It came after your recommendation. I think you waited quite. That was the one you waited yeah. quite a long time to see <laughs> yeah. at the main cinema. It was worth waiting for, though. But yeah, one hour and a half is a bit too long. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I really liked that film as well. Mm-hmm. I think it was quite an intense film around trauma but mm-hmm. and memory mm-hmm. um, and how different people deal with it. It was mm-hmm. a couple who were a part of the, um, the Bataclan uh, uh, terrorist attacks mm-hmm. in Paris and so it was based on a novel, I believe, mm-hmm. um, that was uh, written and it was really beautiful they didn't really much obviously show the actual attacks but kind of did a few like reenactments of what or you know flashbacks to that and the way that they handled mm-hmm. that um was was quite well done but i think mm-hmm. it's just overall a really good film mm-hmm. and um really keen to see more from that um any other films that you you want to sort of throw out yeah, so um, just because, you know, we are both documentary geeks, um, <laughs> so there's one, well, there's two documentaries that really stood with me. One is No U-Turn, which is by a Nigerian director called Ike, um, Ike Nanbue. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Um, and what I like about this documentary is that it's the story of, of migrants uh, in Africa doing all the route all the way up to Morocco to cross to Europe, which is something we've seen a lot of times. It's, it's quite a trite narrative in documentary films. But what makes this film different is that um, the director himself tried to do that route 20 years ago. And um, he decided to turn back and go back to Nigeria because uh, he realized how dangerous it was and he didn't obviously want to risk his life. So he decided to go back to Nigeria and actually study film, and which is quite empowering that he stayed in an African country, studied film and made a film out of that. And, and he provides that insight, you know, that he, he actually did that as well. And... Um, 
yeah, it's, it's like a travelogue documentary. So he follows all these people that are traveling up north and um, he interviews them. But again, it's not intrusive. He, he manages to get a level of intimacy with the characters that is just great. And another thing that I really like about this documentary, because I'm very interested in, in, in this topic, is that most of the time you only see male migrants on this type of documentaries because it's really like maybe women don't trust like a white filmmaker making a film about it, I don't know. But he actually takes the camera to the women and, and talks to them and you see how different as well is their experience. And yeah, I just thought that was quite extraordinary. And also, and this this might be like the cultural uh, insight that he brings is just there, there's moments actually that are quite comic even in such a serious subject matter mm. like I think I mentioned to you already like there's this scene of these two women just looking on the app to see how they see how rough the sea is going to be in order to cross to um, to Spain from, from Morocco and obviously this is, this is uh, quite challenging and quite tough uh, but they just the way they just speak about it as if they were just looking at the weather forecast to go on a walk you know with their pals it's just yeah it's quite it's quite funny um so yeah I really recommend that one I hope it gets to be seen because it's just yeah it's just a great angle to a story that we've seen and and um and also you get to see as well like a lot of the cultural problem as well in terms of like Sometimes they decide not to continue their travel to Europe, but they don't want to come back to their home country because they feel that's shameful, you know, if they come back without having accomplished their mission. So that's quite sad, but it also brings that element of, like, how complex migration is, and it's not just a topic that you can just, yeah, pin down with a couple of sentences. It's very complex, and everyone has a different story. So, yeah, I love that one. Um, and was there any films that you particularly did not like? Um, well, the one I went to see to Delphi Film Palace, that's actually, <laughs> I didn't like it at all. It was a film from, oh, I don't, Kurdistan? <laughs> Some, yeah. I think so, it's called A Poet. Um, and uh, yeah, again, it's, it looked great on the paper, but then it was full of cliches and, you know, this type of like, white white black narrative of you know um the past is always better you know the the idea of poetry mm -hmm. as this literature art 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 form and now there's no poetry people don't care about poetry and yeah i didn't like that one in particular um but let me think about something else what about you I was just going to say, um, the one thing I didn't necessarily like was the Godard exhibition that we oh, saw. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that was just like... You know, as someone who likes Godard, uh, yeah, I think I've liked him less and less as uh, <laughs> over the years, um, as as, it, as the work continues. Unlike Agnes Varda, who I feel like at even, at, you know, the last few films were just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, it's it's getting more and more obtuse and um, a bit strange, if you will. So that wasn't maybe my favourite thing mm. that I saw at Berlinale. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think we were talking about the the display in itself all full of screens and like sort of impersonal furniture. And, and yeah, I just wonder, like, actually, do people really 
stay and, and look at these films and, and have a read at the books? I don't think so. I don't think it's just it's just a type of exhibition to walk through and yeah. that's it. Yeah, I was quite excited about it just because it was on offer. And that's the interesting, again, the interesting thing about Berlin Alley is just it's all over the city. Um, so it's it's about exploring the city as much as it's exploring the cinema um, around the, you know, that, that they bring around the world. And it's so audience focused, specifically this year. I also got the chance to check out the Deutsche Kinematik, which was really, really nice to do and spend some time there looking through the archive because um, I was looking for stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, what, you know, was, was a great experience. And uh, would you do it again? Yeah, of course. If I can, I'll try to come again. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thanks, Amaya, for um, your feedback on this festival. And we'll be talking more about some programming we're going to do, speaking of docs um, yeah. upcoming. So more announcements of that um, coming up soon. Great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So what's what's up for next this month or next month? Are you are you cinemaed out? Are you filmed out? I mean, I've, I'm unabashedly a reality uh, television fan, and I've I think I might need to watch a lot of reality television. I watch very serious films for entire month and a half, you know. Um, so might go go well. I'll definitely watch the French fun film you just mentioned, Gary. <laughs> but looking for a little light, um, yeah, housewives fighting or something like that. But how about how about how about you? What's your plans for film stuff? Um, I, uh, I've i still got a, a backlog of writing to do, so I'm hoping to still be posting reviews for the next wee while, but I don't know when, uh, I don't know what I'll get a chance to see at the cinema. The thing on my radar is uh, Red Rocket, which is uh, which was also mm. part of the Glasgow Film Festival programme, but um, I've not been able to see it yet. So that's the next one on my list to see and um, yeah, but I'm going to go and see Uncharted this week, which I know it feels like it's been out for months and wasn't very well received. But uh, my wife is a big fan of the video games. So um, <laughs> so we are going to go and see that, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I feel a bit cinema out, So I, I think I'll need to take a break before I go and tackle the, the free hour, the Batman film. Um, and sit in the cinema looking at a bleak, a bleak view of Gotham and Glasgow for three hours um but I, yeah I'm also sort of working my way through uh Shower by Claude Landsman a nine-hour documentary about the Holocaust so again I need to find something light to uh intersperse that with um yeah light and fluffy reality tv might be uh might be on order so do you take an, an hour? I mean, I'm, I always say that show is one of my favorite films, but do you take like an hour a day and, and watch it? Or how, I, I had to watch it yeah. completely in two, two sittings, but um, I'm, I'm curious about, yeah, now that we can do it in different ways, how, how you're taking the, how, that feat of watching a, a long film like that. Yeah, I sort of started before the Glasgow Film Festival um, and it got interrupted, but I was watching like an hour, an hour and a half at a time treating it like a mini series like when I have time to to get into it so I need to yeah now the festival's over I think I can uh, devote some time to uh, getting into the second half of that well be curious to yeah to talk to you about it after you've seen it and Mm -hmm. thought about it as well 
Um, well, thank you so much to both of you for coming and um, yeah, and sharing your perspective on Glasgow Film Festival and uh, helping with these reviews. Um, uh, Gary, really great to have you on. Hope you'll come back. Uh, Simon, always wonderful to have you on. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, so follow us on at Cinetopia on Twitter, at Cinetopia Hub um, on Instagram. Let us know what you think about these films or any other films that you want to talk chat to us about. Um, big thanks to Jonas for being, being here as well um, and Amaya. So uh, see you next month. <laughs>